a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Have you completely dedicated every part of yourself to? And I said, well, what's the answer? And she says, that's the trouble. The answer is always no. I said, well, let's ask the question a different way. Has Jesus given everything for you? Has he dedicated his whole life to you? Has he invited you into his heart? And the answer to that is a glorious and gracious and conscious, freeing, comforting yes. Uh, only then we, we hear the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, was born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life uh, in our place, and died the death that we deserved, took on the full wrath of God. All that was done for us so that we could be called righteous and holy in the eyes of God. And now it's time for some Table Talk Radio coming oh, yeah. to you live from everyone's Luther bookstore. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this that's is face-to-face. This is painful. I know. I never realized how painful I think you've Talk gotten shorter since I saw you last time. <laughs> we're, this is, we're in recording uh, Pastor Gag Lines here at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado for the Absolution Conference. And um, so we're doing some live tape. I mean, we're here in studio together in my office. This is where we recorded the very first episode over now 10 years ago, that pilot episode uh, right here when we said, let's try this. And we're going to capitalize on the success of Issues Etc. <laughs> and then like 30 minutes later, Issues Etc. was canceled. Remember? Yeah. Oh, man, this is a like, well, throwback. Yeah, it's true. I thought you could maybe give me a chair, though, just sitting in here in the corner on the floor. Yeah, but. that's right. Well, <laughs> it helps with the sound quality. <laughs> that's what you said, but that doesn't make sense at all. Uh, well, this is this is an odd experience. I uh, can verify that you, whether you're on Facebook or not, I see there's no computer because your computer is still broken. Uh, but uh, you do have a tablet, so Facebook is still within within. Yeah, age. that's right. But I I feel funny under the watchful eye, so I'm going to try to uh, you know <laughs> stay away from social media except during the breaks. We're going to do a uh, listener email. We're just going to crank through this because we don't have all the special audio stuff that's in your studio uh, back home. So we're just going to read your emails and uh, talk about them and uh, do the show that way. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Are we doing buzzwords or no? First, the buzzword I have for you is absolution. Which is the Declaration of the Forgiveness of Sins. It's probably the buzzword I did last week, too. I don't know. I wasn't really listening then, either. Uh, I wasn't paying attention also. But we wanna, we're want to we doing this Absolution Conference. Where I think this is the most important and most neglected uh, theological topic in the Church today, the Doctrine of the Absolution, where we hear the Declaration of the Forgiveness of Sins. So most, most confessions talk about, uh, like, the assurance of pardon, or um, they, they declare the, the declaration of grace. But when the, the absolution is this authoritative speaking of the Lord's forgiveness that comes straight from uh, John chapter 20, where Jesus says, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they are bound. So we want to always treasure that great gift of the absolution. Now, that sounds like something pretty fantastic that everybody would like and get into, right? I mean, I've always puzzled over why... And you could say this with any doctrine of the church, right? right. But why anybody would be opposed to the, the to the idea? I mean, you talk to uh, some people, some Christians about the absolution, and you're like, "Hey, God has um, uh, spoken through this person with the authority to say about what, whether your sins are forgiven or not," and He says, "Your sins are forgiven." Uh, why would anyone be opposed to that? Yeah, I don't know. But I remember when Jesus first spoke the absolution to the paralyzed man. All the Pharisees around grumbled, 
And whenever we hear the absolution, that Pharisee in us, the flesh, also grumbles at it. And sometimes that that grumbling Pharisee, in fact, takes over our theology and says, hey, no one can forgive sins but God alone. I mean, that's the, the same... Uh, uh, what objection that the Pharisees had to the absolution that Jesus spoke is the same objection that we hear now. So I remember when I first heard the absolution spoken in the liturgy, and I said, who is this pastor think he is to forgive sins? And I went and I asked him afterwards, uh, who do you think, who you, do you, are? think you are to forgive <laughs> sins? And he did the best thing. He he took, I was holding my Bible there, and he asked me for my Bible, I think so that he, to prove it wasn't like a trick Bible, right? And, and he opened <laughs> like, it up. Like a trick deck of cards. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's a, some sort of secret Lutheran Bible that has like an absolution section in there. And he opened it up to John 20, and he showed it to him. And I said, well, look at that. I mean, it's true that that Jesus gives the authority to forgive sins. And now this the same thing happens to me as a pastor all the time. People say, how is it that you can forgive sins, right? And the answer is, well, it's not my forgiveness. It's the forgiveness of Jesus that matters. I mean, I can forgive you the sins you commit against me, but that doesn't get you out of hell. It's Jesus' forgiveness that rescues us from, from damnation, and that's what we rejoice in in the absolution. This is interesting. You know, have the opportunity tomorrow to talk about the uh, the keys, both from the uh, Roman perspective and also from the Lutheran perspective. And one of the one of the differences we see in the keys is the um, I mean, both Lutherans and Catholics would say that the keys come from Christ, but there's a disagreement ab- about the uh, the way that it comes through Christ. So that uh, um, that that a Lutheran would say, well, Christ spoke this word to the apostles, and he sent the apostles out to go teach and to baptize, and that then is the work of the church. So that what the church is doing today is the work of the apostles, and that is what Christ had given the church to do. Uh, Rome would say, no, 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 it's not to the apostles or to the church at large, it's to Peter. And, and, and now it's through Peter, through the apostolic succession that we have it. So on the one side, you have Rome that says, look, it's got to be through Peter. And so they, they distort the, the keys that way. But on, on the other side, you have maybe an evangelical perspective that would deny the authority altogether and to say that um, what was maybe given to the apostles in John chapter 20 is not given for us today. So yeah. that's something the apostles did, go and forgive sins, but that's not for us. So they, they you know, Rome takes the, the, the keys to one person and evangel- evangelicals take the keys to no one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They, I mean, it's, they belong to Jesus, and that's it. And now they're gone. They're locked in heaven. Or the only way you get there is, you know, by traveling to the foot of the cross. It's all this kind of m- memorial gymnastics to yeah. to find the place where the uh, forgiveness of sins is. I have this. I was. I've been reading Walter more lately, and uh, he says. Um, no doctrine of the Lutheran Church is more offensive to the Reformed than the doctrine that the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness in the sight of God, and eternal salvation is obtained in no other way than by the believers putting his confidence in the written word, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and in absolution. Mm. So that this this is the most offensive to uh, the Reformed, is the doctrine that the Lord's promises, that God's grace comes to us externally, outside of ourselves, uh, as a gift. I think we should play Name That Theologian. Who do you think that is? <laughs> hmm. hmm. Well, it's not quite as much fun as you could look. <laughs> Let's play Bible Bee, and I'll just look on the page. I know you don't want to do that. All right, my theological buzzword for you is sin. Okay. And sin is transgression and disobedience against God. It's not fair, because I don't like... Me and Joel Osteen don't like to use the word sin. I so know. I know that... I'm never going to... Well, you, you're on you're on par in uh, in popularity, so uh, but that would make sense. Um, so here's the here's the thing about sin: it is a, a transgression against God, and it is uh, what 
um, puts us in the crosshairs of God's wrath. This is what we deserve because of our sin. That is the wrath of God. Um, and, and, then, and then the Bible goes so far to say that, uh, that we're born as objects of God's wrath. So, um, you know, we'll sometimes even make the further distinction, not that the, any of them are your buzzwords, but we'll make the distinction between original sin and actual sin. Original sin is that sin that, is, uh, that we're born into because of the sin of Adam, and uh, the uh, actual sin are those actual sin. That's very distracting, you taking pictures during, during the broadcast. Um, actual, <laughs> actual sin are those uh, things of omission or commission that we actually do to transgress against God. That was a great selfie. I'm working on it. Where's the selfie stick I gave you? <laughs> it's like blurry. Oh, this is terrible. All right, uh, so we're going to do some uh, emails. Yes, I got some for you. I was uh, sorting through to find all the emails from Australia. Okay, two and a half minutes here. Just for you. We'll start with a few bumper stickers. Uh, Seen this week in Rockford, Illinois. It says, stop judging others of only the sins you don't commit. Oh, Jonathan yeah. says, I actually thought that was kind of awesome. So uh, have you seen that one? <laughs> I saw it when he emailed it in, and I put it on the Trello for you to read. <laughs> Stop judging others of only the sins you don't commit. What's no, going on with well, that? Well, that, that's interesting, because normally you just have the bump ticket that says, uh, don't judge me, or only God can judge me. Right. So right. it's putting themselves outside. But this is condemning the person who is judging others, but the judgment that's going on are the the sins that other people are doing, but the ones that I think that I'm innocent of. Is right. that right? That's right. Well, it, it's, I mean, look, at the the scriptures, uh, I, I think that our response to this would say, okay, it's not our work to judge, but rather God himself will be the one who judges. So, so his word is what judges right and wrong. It, it's not up to us to decide what sins that we like. Boom, buzzword. Oh, got it. And what sins we don't like. I just noticed you wrote it down over there. <laughs> I'm not liking this in the presence points. game. Uh, it's not up to us to judge what's a sin and what's not. It's up to God. And and if we start picking what sins we like and what sins we don't like, that is, I mean, that's a definition of a, of a hypocrite. And one of the problems with the Pharisees, you know, we always talk about the Pharisees, how how they had this high view of the law, but the problem was it wasn't actually that high. They they raised the bar high enough so that they could be good and everyone else is bad, but they still had a doable, keepable law. They were sorting things out this way, and that is a dangerous sort of thing. So we want to let God's law loose, and it can convict what it convicts. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, so that... that uh, was it a bumper sticker? That was a bumper sticker. A bumper sticker kind of uh, has an element of truth in that one. An element of truth. Of course, uh, If you, you know, it's not like I can't say, well, look, I'm, I haven't mass murdered anyone, so that means I can't speak about how bad mass murder is. That's probably not But it's, right. it's letting God's word be objective and let it condemn who it condemns. And it condemns us all. It condemns us all. No, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's the constant preaching of the law. And that shows us why we need the gospel. All right, we'll take a break right there. You're listening to Table Talk Radio from Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Weird. This is the uh, the anniversary show, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, what number is this, I wonder? Uh, I don't know. It's, see, without a computer, I don't have to answer these questions. We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, host of Issues Etc. When I can't sleep, I listen to Table Talk Radio. 
So I've kicked up the Wolf Mueller One YouTube channel, and I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time. And to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway... If you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolf Mueller. Wolf Mueller 1 is the channel name. See you there. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're doing a little spring cleaning and cleaning out the inbox. It's always a good thing to do. And uh, Pastor Wolfman, you're in control of the show, so this is pretty scary. Yeah, I know it. Look at this. We're, here's another bumper sticker. It says, <laughs> oh boy, I hadn't looked at this one until right now. It says, gods don't kill people. People with gods kill people. Oh, great. Yeah, this is the old uh, uh, New Atheist thing. Yeah, So right. A riff on the guns. So that, you know, the, the NRA bumper sticker is guns don't kill people. People with guns, bad people with guns kill people or whatever. Now this is... Gods don't kill people. It's people with gods kill people. It's actually just simply not true. I mean, uh, God is holds our life, and so our life and our death is in the hands of God. So I suppose God does. It's a weird way to talk, but he does kill all of us. I mean, he sees to it that our our lives come to an end. Um, but the, you're right. This is the new atheist idea that that theology, any theology, religion, any religion is dangerous. You know, it could be actually, now that I think about it, the anti-New Atheist bumper sticker, because it's trying to say that, look, it's not God's fault, it's not religion's fault, it's people's fault who use religion for those purposes. Um, so I don't know what you think about that. Too. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> it is on a forerunner, so maybe. I don't know. <laughs> now, we, one of the problems with the new atheists is they, they are unable to make distinctions between theologies. So they say the problem is faith, but not any faith. I mean, any faith, not any specific faith. And so they see, for example, the bloodiness of Islam, which is a violent uh, confession. It's a violent faith. It. Um, uh, there's a bloody edge to Islam. wherever Islam spreads throughout the world. There's wars every, everywhere, and uh, and so the new atheists see that and they say the problem is faith, and they don't see it as this particular faith. Hinduism, oddly enough, is also a particularly violent religion. I mean, it's just kind of the violence runs all the way down through it, and so some of the worst places of conflict in the world are where Islam and and Hinduism are running into each other. But to go from it's saying there is a bloody religion to, to then say that religion is bloody is a um, that's a false move. It's an illegitimate move, and it's wrong. It's simply wrong. I mean, the Christian is put in the world not to kill, but to be killed. This is how this is how the Bible constantly talks about the Christian. We're we're led as sheep to the slaughter, and so um, the Christian is never to um, bear the sword as a Christian. You see, mm-hmm. and uh, and and to bring death to people as a Christian. So that's um, so simply a theologically illegitimate move to apply that to Christianity. It's a fascinating thing that uh, so so that there, there's terrible things that go on in the world, and people um, will do that even because of their religion. And some will see that and then say, "Well, then re- all religion is bad." And equate, and this is sort of this false association to say, you know, a Christian pastor who won't marry a same-sex couple or something like that is just as mean and terrible as 
Muslims driving planes into the buildings or right. something like that. So, so that now, I mean, this is all religion is evil. I mean, and, and quitting the two as one and the same. Well, there is a way that our kind of modern secular culture wants the the affirmation of my own identity is more important than my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you insult my identity, you've basically murdered me. But that is a, not a uh, that is a problem with um, the kind of shape of the modern conscience, and not a problem of the confession of Christianity. It, it is interesting that it seems like there's a special attack against Christianity more than uh, the other religions. I mean, you think about the new atheists that we were talking about. Um, they mostly they're they do. Uh, equally critique all religions, but they mostly go after Christianity. I remember when I watched that movie, that terrible movie a long time ago that uh, Bill Maher put out, Religulous. Oh, yeah. Like, 80% of the movie is mocking Christianity, and then he'll spend the last little bit talking about the other other religions. Right, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, I wonder why that is. I mean, um, it, isn't, it isn't just that Christians have the law, right? Because all religions have the law. I mean, uh, did you see that... Uh, Crowder video where he goes in to Muslim bakeries and asks the Muslim bakers to make a same-sex wedding for him? No. And they won't do it. Of course they won't do it. But who has ever heard of any Muslim baker being sued for right. <laughs> for not baking a, a same-sex? I mean, for some reason, it's the Christian morality that is so offensive more than the other moralities. But it's the all it's all the same law. I mean, it's right. all the same morality. Right. Well, in some ways, so I mean, we can see spiritually why it's the case because um, Christ is true God. And mm-hmm. so, of course, the devil, as he leads the attack, is going to attack the truth and is going to just throw in the others as kind of obfuscation to look like this is mm-hmm. a kind of an intellectually true sort of thing. But, you know, it's a it's a shell game. It's a facade. But um, it, it also is the case that Christianity is the most um, um, intellectually rigorous, the most historically accurate, and the most um, philosophically compelling um, worldview and set of truth claims that ever existed. I mean, it is those things because it is true. But even if they're, even if you don't believe them to be true, you have to, you, you they have to stand there as such. I mean, Christianity of all the religions of the world, Christianity is the one that, um, uh, that's that stands in need of refutation. I mean, there's a reason why there's no Olympus worship and Greek gods there. I mean, you know, we talk about it, and and there was maybe a time, a couple of centuries, where that flourished, and there was a couple of times when Zarathustrianism over in Persia was a dominant religion. You know, these kind of kooky religions rose when the nations who held them rose to power, and so we we heard about them and they collapsed. But Christianity, as a theology, has is is the oldest, is the most widespread, is the most believed. Uh, and it is the most consistent and the most compelling, even if you don't believe it. So so there's a way that we understand it both spiritually and also just kind of historically and philosophically that if you're going to refute theology, you gotta you, you got to go after Christianity. But it, it, it holds up. I mean, our, our doctrine, our, 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 the claims that we make of what is true simply hold up against all refutation. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, what else we got in the Uh, inbox? A couple of responses on Called by the Gospel. Here's one from Debbie who says, Yes, more please. Please, sir, can I have some more? Quoting Oliver. I think what I appreciate the most is the clarity that comes to each person when they come to faith. False doctrine becomes nonsense. Suddenly there's light and love and peace. And for those of us, including myself, who have been on similar journeys, well, all we can say is yes and amen. 
It still amazes me that we are being saved from our own false notions of Christianity. The interviews are wonderful. Thank you from Debbie. That reminds me, weren't you supposed to be putting one of those together sometime? Yes, I, we recorded one. <laughs> Alas, <laughs> I lost the audio, so I got to schedule another recording. You lost uh, the audio? You well, put it in your other pair of pants or yeah, what? Yeah, that's right. It got went through the <laughs> <Got> wash. wash. <laughs> another uh, response to Called by the Gospel is from Hayden from Australia. Uh-oh, here it comes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hi, pastors. I've really enjoyed listening to your Called by the Gospel series. And I'm putting my vote in for you guys to continue with it. As someone who was born and raised Lutheran, it's refreshing to hear the story. In the episode that you interview Bob, you say that theology shouldn't just be left to the intellectuals and that table talk radio is proof that buffoons can do theology. <laughs> Do we say that? That's pretty, mm. that's pretty good. I think that'd really make a great t-shirt. <laughs> Keep up the mediocrity. Yours in Christ, Hayden. You know, I got to say, now that I hear that Australian accent in the flesh... It really is terrible. It, you really, it's <laughs> Take awful. it easy, man. Take it easy. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that it seems that our listeners are particularly resonating with the Called by the Gospel episodes. And, um, you know, the, the worst feedback we get from that is when people say, ah, it's like Lutheran testimonials. I'm like, ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want that. But I think there is a distinct... Difference. Did we talk about this on the air already? I can't remember. That. Um, I, I mean, let me say that again. I've blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> or let me say that again. I, I refuse to remember. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't even have to keep doing more episodes. We can probably just put the thing on repeat. Yeah. And would anyone really know? No, I mean, right. anyway. We'd, I mean, we'd never the, know if they knew because they'd all be comatose. The, the max listenership is probably like 10 to 15 episodes. So... <laughs> You can probably just repeat ten, you know, ten to fifteen. I've had enough. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Anyway, um, that, it's like a shirt from Walmart. You can only wear it so many times. <laughs> Typically, as they would call people down to do the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the testimonial, uh, what the testimonial sounds like is, I had this problem, and then I accepted Jesus in my life, and He gave me the power to overcome this problem, and now look at me. You can be problem free too. And really what that is a testimonial, I mean, it is a testimonial, just like you have the business testimonials, right? So I had this problem, this business came in and fixed my problem, and now I don't have the problem anymore. That's, that's what you look for with business testimonials, and that's all it is uh, in churches, too. I, I think what we're going for, and I think what's being presented in the Call by the Gospel episodes, um, is that clarity of doctrine. Um, and and what, we, what, what we have found and what people resonate with so much is knowing what it is to live apart from the gospel. Even people within churches, people who attend Christian churches uh, week in and week out, are living life, in some cases, uh, without knowing the gospel. And it's when they then uh, come to hear this gospel, that is, the forgiveness of sins, by nothing that I ever do. That is not that God is... Uh, bringing me into this expectation that I live better so that I can be acceptable before him, but that God has really done everything for my salvation in Christ. Um, when we really grasp that, it's a whole new life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people resonate with in hearing the Called by the Gospel episodes. One of the things that we're trying to do with that Called by the Gospel, I mean, the reason why we listen and, and pull clips out and then talk about it is we want to we don't want it to be just, here's my testimonial story. So we're trying to, even by the format, to pull away from that. But it is amazing to hear, um, because when, when the truth of the Scriptures comes come to us, we, we wrestle with that truth 
uh, intellectually, but also um, also emotionally and socially and everything else. I mean, it's, it, it, is a, it is a wrestling with things. And so it's good to hear that story and how that works out and to know that we're not alone in this wrestling. Yeah, indeed. All right, we need to take a break. More of your emails right after this. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, because cable's expensive. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. All right, welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're burning through 10 years of emails all That's in right. one shot. That's right. We'll have to get together in another 10 years and do all these emails. <laughs> Here's uh, Jonathan from St. Augustine, Australia. You know, that's crazy. Ten years? That doesn't sound like the length of a podcast. It sounds like a sentence, like, this guy got ten years in prison. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> not so far off. How long have you been doing Table Talk Radio? Yeah, what are you in for? <laughs> ten years of Table Talk Radio. I'm hoping to go on parole, listen to some issues, etc. <laughs> Solitary confinement's like the God Whispers. <laughs> Everybody should support the God. They're trying to come back. Did you see that? They're, Is that right? They're trying to raise money to get the uh, <laughs> equipment that they need. Everyone should. I mean, I, I think we should We should probably support them, send some Table Talk Radio money over the God Whispers, because as long as the God Whispers are going, then we are not the worst. <laughs> It helps you know, in the curb, you know. It. It's like it's like you ask the ugly guy to be the best man at the wedding, you know, because then you look like a handsome. So let's just find out how much they need and get them going here. Get them going again. <laughs> they talk about the necessity. Did you? See that's this? that's were... not why you were the DJ, by the way. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I'd love to have you stand with me, but you're just too good looking. Could you go? Uh, <laughs> the uh... you're the DJ because we're cheap. <laughs> The God whispers they're like there's no good po- there's no good Lutheran podcasts anymore now that we're not on. <laughs> so we got to come back so I think we should support them I as agree. a not good podcast or whatever. <laughs> anyway, Jonathan writes from St. Augustine, Australia. Oh no. Not sure what to make of this. I'm thinking the author is one of those Calvin guys. Could be wrong. Thanks Jonathan. And he's got a link here to this Crossways article which is called 5 Myths About Martin Luther. Oh, I remember looking at that. Okay, so here's one, myth one. That, that, that's on a website that was made in like 1991, right? October 17th, 2017, they posted it. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, Luther was a simple monk. Over the centuries, biographies of Luther created the image of him as being a simple monk who unexpectedly found a Bible and out of despair and uncertainty published 95 theses. This made for a good story of an unlearned poor boy standing up against a rich establishment. But things were a little different. Luther was very learned. It says here, I think some people say learned. I don't know if you sound more learned if you say learned. (laughs) But I'm against pronouncing the EDs, you know, blessed. That's also what we say, blessed. But you, you have to to make Hallowed. the... In certain hymns to make the Hallowed. syllables work, you have to say blessed because... Well, look, you could do it all the time. 
I'll just read. I'll read all my EDs over there. Okay. This makes for a good story of an unlearned poor boy standing up against the rich establishment. But things were a little different. Luther was a very learned professor of theology. He was well trained in philosophy. <laughs> and had an extremely profound knowledge of the Bible. He knew what he was doing and what he could expect on and after October 31st, 1517. <laughs> now, this myth about Luther, what their, their myth-busting is somewhat true, somewhat false. Now, Luther himself writes about what happened on October 31st later, you know, in the introduction to his Latin works especially, which is, I would commend to you, and uh, uh, to the listener. I'm sure Evan, he's got it in his back pocket. I don't read. Uh, he says that, um, uh, Luther says, who knew that this thing would go so crazy? I mean, Luther, remember the, the year before he posted the 95 theses, he posted the 97 theses or 96 theses about almost, I mean, very similar things that it did just didn't go crazy like this. So the kind of outrage that was caused by the posting of the 95 theses couldn't have been predicted by anybody, but it is true that Luther was learned uh, he, I mean, he knew his stuff, and everyone could see. I mean, his dad could see that he was going to be good. That's why his dad was so upset when he didn't go be a lawyer, you know? I wonder if that's like doing 10 years of Table Talker Radio, and all of a sudden one episode catches someone's attention. Yeah. <laughs> it goes huge. <laughs> so going to publish still, it? Still waiting for that day. That's right. <laughs> someone's going to take it and, and redo, translate it into Latin? I mean, and then it'll go crazy. I'm wondering if that's even a myth. Are people going around saying that he's just this... This uh, bumbling monk that happened to fall upon a Bible? Because I haven't heard that. I don't know. I, you're probably right about this, because everybody who reads Luther is like, hot dog, that guy is a genius. <laughs> so we this instead of myth-busting, this is the straw man's myth-busting. <laughs> it is kind of weird that it's busting a myth that doesn't exist by saying a half-truth. But Myth number two. Ooh, interesting. Luther personally nailed the 95 Theses to a door in Wittenberg. This is up for debate, isn't it? Yeah, it's such an impressive thought to imagine this monk hammering away at the door of the castle's chapel in Wittenberg. The scene is highlighted, highlighted, <laughs> highlighted in books and movies of Luther, but unfortunately the story is a myth. There's no evidence that he did such. Luther never mentioned that uh, he himself posted did the 95 Theses, let alone nailed them to the door. <laughs> Even if he would have wanted to post himself... I think I realize why people don't do this all the time now. <laughs> Luther would have been permitted to, to do so. In most schools and churches today, you cannot just affix your posters and other messages on the bulletin board until you've asked the janitor for permission. Same is true in Wittenberg. What? The janitor of the university was responsible for posting messages on the chapter door, essentially the public bulletin board. That said, Luther didn't, did write the 95 Theses. It was a janitor who posted them, perhaps yeah. using glue rather than nails. <laughs> Okay, so it it is true that there's some historical debate about whether the 95 Theses were actually nailed to the church door in Wittenberg, and I'll let you talk about this because you were there and saw the door. But It's um, bronze, so they couldn't have nailed it. And, okay. and the door there is bronze, uh, and it also has the 95 Theses engraved on the bronze door, so Luther wouldn't have even have needed to nail it to the door because the door's made out of the 95 why, Theses. Why we're being anachronistic. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well go all the way. <laughs> Apparently, the door Luther, burned down in like eighteen hundred or Luther something. Luther got like there and goes, "Oh dang! <laughs> someone already, someone already wrote the ninety-five theses in bronze on the door." <laughs> but, but, um, I mean, this is so terrible to that the argument for to tip the scale in this historical debate is it's kind of like how you have to ask the janitor for permission first. I don't know anyone who has to ask the janitor to put things up on a bulletin board. It used to be cool, like in the 80s especially, in the 90s of the 1900s, to <laughs> um, 
to just go back and say, hey, you know all these things about history? Eh, not true. And I, I don't know, but everyone loved to do that, just to kind of smash the idols. And so Luther nailing the 95 Theses was one of those idols that apparently needed to be smashed by the coolness of the 80s and 90s. But uh, this new book that was came out this last year on um, Brand Luther, that guy who talked about Luther and the printing press, et cetera, found uh, a lot of kind of corroborating evidence that scholars are digging up nowadays that indicate that probably they were printed on broadside probably they were hung by nailed to the 90 to the door there uh as well so uh it looks like this is probably uh not a myth but who in some ways who who cares uh number three luther said here i stand travel to wittenberg today and you can purchase a pair of socks printed with the words here i stand uh the statement encapsulates the movement in 1521 where luther oh sorry the moment in 1521 where Luther stood before Emperor Charles V and refused to recant his words and opinions, it's widely believed that Luther then said, Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. The problem is that we find these words only in later versions of the report of the moment. It's most likely that they were inserted to strengthen Luther's message, though it proved effective to that end and for modern sock sellers. This, unfortunately, is also a myth. Uh, It's amazing that the Emperor Charles is so famous, he just has a a V. We don't even know his last name. It's just right, V. Yeah, Charles V. That's amazing. Mm. Uh, I, I, I maybe it's Charles. V. That's probably it. And his son was V. <laughs> and his dad would X. <laughs> Wait, no, no, that would be his great great grandson. His his dad was Iv. <laughs> Weird names back then. Um, I I guess I'm not. I I, I don't know. Of what historical proofs I would make on this one, I have never heard that the "Here I Stand" speech is being drawn into question. I think that we, I would think that we have some historical backdrop to um, have some reliability on this one. Do you know? Yes, yeah. This- yeah, yeah. It's it, this is another one of those things that's questioned, but it probably, I mean, it's so broadly attested in all the histories that this is probably something that happened. Uh, we we in Luther's own, he he writes, Luther writes what he said. I'll I'll pull that up uh, after the break. But Luther um, later in a letter gave a rec- a report of what he he said, and the "Here I Stand" is not in that letter. But almost all, even very close contemporary accounts, have it there. So um, so it's probably uh, this also is probably trying to go a little bit too far. We got time for one more. There's two more myths to bust. Yeah, two oh, yeah. minutes. Luther was the first to translate the Bible into German. Perhaps Luther's greatest accomplishment was the Luther Bible. In a very short period of time, while hiding in the Wartburg, he translated it, he translated the New Testament and then later the Old Testament. However, it's a myth that Luther was the first one ever to translate the Bible into German. There were, in fact, at least 18 German translations of the whole Bible when he began his work. The quality and success of Luther's translation, however, meant that the other 18 translations were soon forgotten. Yeah, there was. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there was langu- Bibles in other languages. Some were legal, some were illegal, some were scholarly editions, some were in libraries and so forth. Luther was the first one to put it into uh, um, uh, into popular usage, and his translation was better than all the other ones. Well, Luther uh, utilized the Greek and the Hebrew in his translation, was not using the Latin Vulgate, right, which, right. which might be a distinction with some of the other translations. Mm-hmm, I think that's true. Number five. Luther said something about planting a tree. Luther has often been quoted as saying, even if I knew that Christ would return tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. These are great words of confidence, action, and expectation, but Luther never uttered them. Many years ago, a Durham and Luther Society offered a reward for the person who could prove if Luther made the statement. The reward was never claimed. It's a beautiful sentiment. It has not been proven that Luther actually expressed it. Uh, I don't doubt that. In fact, we have the tendency to say, Luther said, or... 
Luther said this, and we oftentimes are repeating what we heard someone say Luther said. We don't actually have the quote. Um, so this happens actually probably more than we realize. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's a, a myth to be busted, but, uh, you know, Luther said so much, you can probably find something like it anywhere. I mean, we have like a third of his stuff in English now, and it's all over the place. Uh, but I think that's true. This one, this planting an apple tree, is probably a myth. I wonder, did it say what the reward is for those who... If we go and find it? Well, I know, because I saw it on a plaque in Germany (laughs) right next to a tree. (laughs) All right, we're going to be looking at other anachronisms right after this. We'll be right back on Table Time Radio. It's not a radio show. It's a relationship. Stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. And the final segment of the program. Finally. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Thank you. And you did some research. Oh yeah, on your trip like to the I coffee, always do. To the coffee pot <laughs> every day for this show. <laughs> that's I, all you do is right. You're just just studying, pouring over. That's right. Right. It's kind of annoying. You watch it over me here. I gotta act now, like I'm. Now I know your secrets. Paying attention. <laughs> uh, this is great old book that I've got up free on the Google Books. It's called "The uh, Life of Martin Luther in His Own Words," and. Um, we find this Luther's own account written cl- soon after Worms. He wrote a history, and it's in the third person. So he he quotes himself, and we think this is by Luther. Uh, and here is the quote that Luther, we think, gives of himself. Since your uh, imperial majesty and your highness asked me uh, in sh- uh, for a short and plain answer, I will give you one without teeth or horns. Except I can be convinced by Holy Scripture or by clear and indisputable reasons from other sources. For I cannot defer to the Pope only, or to councils which is so often proved fallible. I neither can nor will revoke anything. As has been found impossible to refute the evidences that I have quoted, my conscience is a prisoner to God's word, and no one can be compelled to act against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot act otherwise. God be my aid. Amen. So you said that we think this is from Luther. Is yeah. your question about yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, there's some questions, but we because we have this. So we have an account of the um, an old account that came right after Worms of Worms, and it seems to be written by Luther, hmm. but it's it's written like it's not by Luther. But all the indications are that it's his. So now it, that's it. Just doesn't seem like it because it's in the third person. Right. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's not titled or anything like that. So, but it seems like. Um, uh, our information is that, in fact, this here I stand goes as far back as it can go as a report of what happened. There. I think that one's plausible. Whoops. Pretty plausible. I got to open this up because we got to do some more stuff. We're still looking at emails, right? Well, So what do you think about that uh, article, Five Myths About Luther? Um, probably is an article that was trying to make a lot of hay out of nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just this kind of historical iconoclasm, you know? You go back and you say, these things that you thought were true are not true. The Trojan horse was more like a Trojan rhinoceros. Dun, 
Done. Da. You know, there's reasons we have these stories from history. It's pretty good. Here's another one. This says, crazy article. Not sure what to make of this from Jim in Aurora, Australia. And, and it says, church that worships AI, God, may be the way of the future. The AI God, that means the artificial intelligence, you know? So like a robot, we're going to church and there's the robot God there or something? Yep. You might soon be able, if you're so inclined, to join a bona fide church worshiping an artificially intelligent God. Former Google and Uber engineer Anthony Levadowski, according to a recent back channel profile, filed paperwork with the state of California in, 15, in, in 2015 to establish Way of the Future, a nonprofit religious corporation dedicated to worshiping the AI. The church's mission, according to paperwork obtained by Back Channel, is, quote, to develop and promote the realization of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence and through understanding and worship of the Godhead, contribute to the betterment of society, end quote. The documents showed Lewandowski as CEO and president of Way of the Future. Presumably, there was no option for high priest. <laughs> Author, man, this is creepy. Author and religious studies scholar Candy Can, who teaches comparative religion at Baylor University, said Lewandowski's spiritual initiative isn't necessarily that odd from a historical perspective. Huh. I wonder what would be odd. <laughs> it's, if, you're, if this does not meet your criteria for odd, <laughs> you have a very uh, high bar. Oh, no. <laughs> That's normal. Yeah, we worship yeah. the robots all the time. <laughs> Maybe it's because he's a Google CEO that it's mm. not odd. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what you they do. You should see all the his time. house. <laughs> <laughs> he has an AI cooking dinner for him and everything. It's like, why wouldn't we go worship the AI God? It's, quote, can't, this is can quote. Uh, it strikes me that Lewandowski's idea reads like a quintessential American religion. The Church of the of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Scientology are both distinctly American traditions that focus on very forward-thinking religious viewpoints. LDS discusses other planets and extraterrestrial life. Scientology has an emphasis on therapy and a psychological worldview which is quite modern and forward-thinking. End quote. Hmm. And also nuts, I might add. The concept <laughs> of worshipping artificial intelligence has a certain resonance with major world religion, Can said. Quote, from a comparative religion perspective, I think it feels at most like Hinduism, in which there are avatars of deities found on earth, she said. In this way, I think AI can reflect the best of humans back to us, which are in turn worshipped. <laughs> There's the zinger. AI reflects the best of humans back to us, which are in turn worshipped. Ah, okay. It's just mirror worship. There now we've got to it. Well, um... I was it Mark Twain that said uh, God created man in his own image, and ever since then, man's been returning the favor? I think that sounds like uh, oh, Martin Luther said it, or or Mark Twain, I don't know. <laughs> it's a myth that either Luther or Mark Twain said. <laughs> Five myths about Mark Twain's religious busted. You've heard it said that Mark Twain... <laughs> We should have a challenge. Whoever can prove that either Mark Twain or Luther said that gets a reward. And what do they get? Which which book here do we get of them? What do you want? Whether Soldiers 2 Can Be Saved? Okay. Nice one. All right. That one's on Table Talk Radio. Yeah. You get this little little Everyone's Luther publication if you can prove. First person, not everyone. But first person to prove it. That Mark Twain said? Either Mark Twain or Luther. <laughs> 
It's Mark Twain. I think it is Mark I'm just messing with it. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and, and I think there is a valid point to that. So, um, we, you know, we, we, we typically form a version of God in that's going to be okay with all the things that I'm okay with and, and be really against all the things that I don't like. It's kind of like that bumper sticker we talked at the top of the program. Um, that, uh, that we're going to form a God that just fits exactly what we want. And really, this is what ancient Israel did throughout the Old Testament. You know, Jeremiah is calling um, Israel and Judah to, to repentance, setting up idols in their own, in, 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 um, in the temple, uh, uh, Asherah poles and, and, uh, and, and uh, sacrifices to Baal in the temple. And uh, they're saying, well, what's wrong with this? You know, we got, we got uh, all the bases covered. We got all the gods that we want uh, uh, worshipped here. So, um, you know, AI, I suppose, is just another version of that. I got one more. We have time for one more article? Oh, yeah, we got plenty of time. Oh, yeah. This is a question about Jesus Plus. Hey there, pastors. First off, one, oh, this is from, let's see, Marty from Columbus, Australia. Hey, Marty. Hey there, pastors. First off, I wanted to say thanks for the show. I haven't had any problems with insomnia ever since I started listening. I figured that you guys are excellent at being the most mediocre radio show I know. Whoops. I messed up the thing here. Hold on. Ah, yeah. Therefore, you are qualified to review this article titled The Emptiness of Mediocrity, written by a Missouri Synod pastor. Oh, how could, I think that's a direct offense. I, <laughs> how would you respond to Jesus Plus that seems prevalent throughout? Okay, so let's see. So here is an article called The Emptiness of Mediocrity. How are you? It's a simple question that we hear, if not ourselves, multiple times a day, but how do you respond? Are you one of those people who respond, I'm okay? I believe that okay is just a cop-out for a bigger reality. If we, I believe we're never supposed to be okay. If you know me well, chances are if you've asked me the typical question that no one really cares or even hear the answer to, how are you? And if you ask me that question, then you've likely heard my reply. I would say that nine times out of ten, the answer is great or excellent or even it shouldn't be legal to be this good. <laughs> I wish I could broadcast your face. Those aren't arrogant remarks. They're most, not most comments of do. a disillusioned <laughs> nutcase. They're real. I believe they are so encouraged by Scripture. Okay is so... The last one... Wait, wait. Okay, so the last one might be a little bit of a stretch, but hear me out. In a recent Bible study with some ladies from church, we were looking at Philippians 1. Nestled in Paul's words to the church, folks, that was a statement that's often overlooked. Approved what is excellent. Notice he says, approve what is okay or good or beneficial, but approve what is excellent. I believe that we settle for less than excellent all too often. We assume that life will deal us a bad day, so we need to roll with it. But what if we really expected excellent in every area of our lives, etc.? All right, this is just basic, a uh, very, very light form of um, word faith stuff. You know, so if you think that you're, you know, or the remember the the prayer of Jabez that was around, you know, that yeah. that you need to ask God for a blessing, yeah, or, and yeah. if you don't ask, and He's not going to give it to you. Yeah. This kind of a thing. If you have higher expectations for your day, then then you'll live up to them or something like that. Now there is a point to be said that we sometimes um, are in the routine of asking the question, don't actually care <laughs> what people say. There, that's something valid. But it sounds like what this um, pastor is saying is that. Um, your answer is too low bar, and right. it, it needs to set your, your your sights higher. We can be happy. There's nothing wrong with being happy. We can be optimistic. That's also a good thing to be. But I'm okay. <laughs> but it's all right to be mediocre. <laughs> In fact, I think that's what we should do. We strive at that, I think. That's right. People say, well, 
we say, how's your day? And we say, mediocre. And people say, oh, you should think higher. And you're like, well, that is higher. <laughs> yeah, that was that was high for me. <laughs> Yesterday was bad. The day before was miserable. <laughs> mediocre is all right. <laughs> I don't think it's setting the bar I'm, low. In fact, I'm, it's quite optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, but um, thanks for sending us in. If you have any... Uh, comments or questions you want us to look at questions at tabletalkradio.org is the email address or give us a call 1-800-385-SOLA and thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio where the absolution is excellent thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio